The Forum at 8 on SAFM. Our listeners said that the 16 Days of Activism campaign was mere rhetoric and it did nothing or little to address the real issues. And violence against women and children still persists, as we all know too well. But it does not only leave physical and emotional scars for those affected, but it also costs money. And according to a report by the audit firm KPMG, gender-based violence costs South Africa between 28 and 43 billion rand in 2012-2013 alone. Now, that is something for us to wrap our heads around. And on the Forum at 8 this morning, we asked, how is gender-based violence affecting our economy? And, and, and perhaps putting a different spin on things, asking us to look at this problem in a different way not only focusing on uh, the physical and emotional scars, as I said, not to say that they're not important, they are, but there are other repercussions to these acts as well. So uh, the lines are open, as they always are, on the forum. 891 is the number to dial. Alternatively, you can get in touch with us via social media. You can uh, SMS us on 34701, or you can tweet or Facebook at AM Live on SAFM. And joining us for the discussion this morning, in studio here with me, um, independent researcher who specializes on uh, race, uh, gender-based violence is uh, Lisa Vetten, whom I'm sure is no stranger to most of you. Thanks for coming through, Lisa. Thanks, Lynn, and good morning to our listeners. And also joining us, and thanks for your time as well, Laura Brooks, who's a consultant at audit firm KPMG. Hi, thanks for having me. Thank you so much, Laura. Laura, and I'm going to start with you uh, by just, you know, outlining uh, the, um, the findings of this report because it really is mind-boggling. Between 28 and 43 billion rand in one financial year. And this in an area where we don't often focus on the cost to the economy of something like gender-based violence. Yeah, I mean, that sounds like a huge number, but just to point out that that's in fact a very conservative estimate. You know, we don't have a lot of robust data in this area, which is one of the things we'd like to see an improvement on is data collection and an understanding of what the extent of the problem really is. Um, But, you know, even 43 billion is, is a conservative estimate of what this costs our economy annually because there's so much that we haven't been able to include in this study because of, of lack of data and, um, you know, under-reporting and all of those kinds of issues that come with gender-based violence. But, I mean, just to point out, this amounts to 1.3% of our GDP. It's a, it's a huge amount. It's a huge loss. And like you say, not to take away from the human experience of it, mm. but just to include other people in this discussion to translate this problem into financial terms so that people can relate to it, people can can understand that it's there's a business case behind um, combating gender-based violence beyond just the, the social justice issues. And I must say, when you say that's a conservative estimate, wow, um, you know, <laughs> the mind really boggles. But looking at the objective of estimating the cost of gender-based violence, what is that? Like I say, just to bring... Um, a new section of of our of people to the conversation to point out to to government to to the private sector that there's a financial loss that is associated with gender-based violence and therefore an incentive 
on the business front and on the bottom line and in terms of our GDP growth to address the issue beyond the social beyond the social imperative um, and it's been interesting you know it, it's quite a sad thing to watch <laughs> that like a study like this gets a lot more attention than a study that does a you know a community investigation into the stories of people who are affected by gender-based violence it is kind of sad but at the same time it's really exciting to see new people coming to the conversation and wanting to participate um, so it's really about trying translating something into financial terms and then having a conversation that includes other aspects um, of the issue. Mm. Lisa, what was your uh, reaction to these numbers? Well, I think as Laura said, the private sector has been very slow in seeing gender-based violence as an issue that even concerns them, which is a sad reflection of what they think about their female workforce. So I think something like this could be helpful if if it wakes them up to the fact that, firstly, their female workforce suffers from this. Some of their male workforce may be perpetrating it. Some of them themselves also have experienced this. But that they have a duty and an obligation to do something about this. It's regrettable that they couldn't see that from the moral and social justice point of view and has to take breaking it down into billions of rands and cents before they do. But I think if it prompts the business sector to sit up and start thinking, what programs do we need to run in our workplace and what kind of corporate social investment should we be putting into um, services and other programs to combat it, then that would be a good. What if businesses, but, you know, we don't really want to get involved in people's personal lives. You know, we, we, we really would rather have people leave their domestic problems at the door when they come in in the morning and they can pick them up again on their way out. Well, the first thing I think that companies forget is that there is a good deal of sexual harassment that happens in their workplaces, which they are responsible for, both... Um, from a social point of view, from company workplace employment, health and safety, but also they can become financially liable for. So it's something that if they don't create the proper environment, can flourish and which they will become responsible for. So I think companies are turning a blind eye if they don't see that happening in their workforce. And then there's the other aspect, which of course may be that women take time off work because they've they look too injured to be able to come to work. They take time off work because they need to go to court to get protection. And very often women aren't able to tell their human resource managers or whoever it is what has happened because of the stigma attached to being raped. So I think you sometimes see things happening where women take time off, they exhaust their leave, and then they sometimes withdraw from their cases because they don't want to tell their workplace what has happened. Or they, the employer does know but says, you've exhausted your leave, you cannot go anymore. So work is crucial. Um, the private sector is crucial. It needs to look at both what happens to its... Because what happens at the workplace, uh, what happens to him does get carried into the workplace. And so that is why companies can't afford to turn a blind eye if they themselves are not perhaps condoning and perpetrating in the form of sexual harassment. Mm -hmm. Just going back to uh, your uh, uh, assertion there that it was difficult to actually uh, gather this data, Laura, how much of it came out of the workplace? Um, I think uh, I can confirm, but I think it's 6% of the cost was attributed to, yeah, 6 about 6.5% attributed to um, the business sector. And as Lisa rightly pointed out, that those costs come from absenteeism, from having to recruit new staff, replacement staff, to retrain staff. And those are huge costs to the business sector. And as she said, you know, people, as much as a business might like you to leave your personal life at home, you you know, mm. it really isn't how it happens in reality. It's, it's actually not possible. And that's where those costs come in. Um, and in terms of collecting the data, we don't know because it's a personal issue. We don't have data in the business sector on how many women are absent from work because of, you know, a, a, an incident of, of violence. Um, so, so that's why it's difficult to cost. And so what we did was we estimated a 
proportion of women who are victims of violence who are then absent from work as a result. So depending on the severity of the injuries or the assumed severity of the psychological damage. Um, and that's a very difficult thing to do because we don't really have a very accurate data on, on those connections. Mm. But but given the problems that we are facing in this regard, uh, Lisa, and reporting has always been a problem when it comes mm. to gender-based violence, do you think now that we are talking and looking at new ways of actually addressing this particular problem, is this something that government and companies even should be looking at, you know, working into their policy somehow? Well, absolutely. I think um, government... You know, one of the very simple things that they can do, and you'll see some departments do it, but others don't, is, for example, and I'll use a slightly different example, is maintenance. Is where you have fathers who don't pay their maintenance, obviously if you're the employer, it's easy for you to deduct that money through a garnishing order. So that's an important thing that government can do. And I raise the importance of maintenance because it's, uh, it's really important enabling women to live independently and to ensure that their children are supported and are able to have the necessary schooling and other things that they do. Mm. That is something that companies should be doing as well. I think government, you know, through its campaigns, is probably somewhat ahead of the private sector. The private sector, it's very rare. I mean, I can say that one, I would, speaking from from experience here, being asked to go and speak to a company about how does this affect us. It's very seldom that companies um, ever do that. I think there's also a concern that, we don't want to take this up. We don't want to be prying into people's private lives. You don't want to be opening up a Pandora's box. So some companies don't look at it from that point of view. But, I mean, there are some, and I've worked with them, who as part of employee wellness will bring you in as a speaker, will try and get you to come and train their staff, will try and bring in staff who can assist wherever they do have such problems. So I think that's very positive where you have um, workplace policies that, that recognize that this is a problem, that we should be providing assistance here. I mean, I've, some, I've seen some workforces also go to the extent of where they have a woman who separates from a partner who continues to stalk her to work and wait for her at work and harass her at work. They've also tried to provide some kind of security or some sort of assistance to protect her. And I must point out, in some of the research I've done looking at um, intimate femicides, some women have been killed at their workplaces. So companies shouldn't think this doesn't affect them in any way. And the ways they can address this is, of course, looking at policies around absenteeism. If you need to go to court, if you need to get a protection order, because our courts don't, unfortunately, provide a same-day service in some instances. And then, of course, I think also looking at their corporate social investment. And at this point in time, I must say, I don't have the most recent data, but in 2012, only 15% of the $3 billion that was spent on CSI in that year went to social services. And of that 15%, 5% went to what were called victim empowerment services. Mm. So it works at about 15 million rand. It's paltry. Mm. It really is. So it's not something that is top of mind not at when all. companies are even looking at their CSI strategy. No, and in fact, somebody pointed out to me that they think that the corporate sector probably spends more on rhinos than they do on violence against women. Yeah, that rhino conversation came up in dinner last night as well. (laughs) But we are talking gender-based violence this morning on the final day of the 16 days of activism of no violence against women and children. And on the forum this morning, we ask, how is gender-based violence affecting our economy? And of course, basing this discussion uh, in part on a KPMG uh, audit that found that South Africa, um, uh, uh, gender-based violence rather, cost South Africa between 28 and 43 billion rand in the 2012-2013 financial year alone. And Laura Brooks, who's um, speaking to us this morning, who's a consultant at uh, KPMG, tells us that that 
is also a conservative estimate of uh, what is actually going on. Also joining us for the discussion is Lisa Vetten, independent researcher who special, uh, specializes in uh, gender-based violence. Let's go to the lines now, 891 SMS us on 34701, tweet or Facebook at AM Live on SAFM or at Sakina Kamwendo. Going to Graham Sound first this morning. Good morning, Peter. Hello, SK, and good morning to your guest, uh, Peter Wani. Look, uh, I'm glad you brought up the, the cost here because it's not only the, the horrific incidents of gender-based violence, but every incident destroys South Africa's nat- national pride. And you hear the proudly South African uh, word being less uh, mentioned less often lately. I don't know if that's just coincidental, but the international image is suffering, and uh, it makes South Africa a less pleasant place to live in. In this patriarchal society, I just wonder if we can get the government to take much more notice of it, because uh, the, the world is watching, and with women being disemboweled and babies being... Uh, raped and children being dragged next to cars, you know, the, the, uh, the issue is a very big one and it's much more important to, in monetary terms, than rhino perching. Mm. Thank you so much, uh, Peter. And also perhaps to just put the question out there, does this matter more to you when you realize what the economic impact of this particular phenomenon is than when we are talking about the more human aspect of it through emotional and social scar uh, and physical scars for that matter? David, you're in Durban. Good morning. Morning, morning. Thank you for taking my call. Hi, David. Hello. Can you hear me? Yes, we can. Okay, thank you. Ah uh, yes, man. Um, I know it's just um uh, really, really not um. Uh, it's, it's kind of like uh, appalling. I'm uh, getting the figures which uh, your guest is saying, which is being set aside. But I'm really, really just gonna take this thing uh, on a different angle, and uh, because all we um uh, I feel that we're doing is actually just just trying to deal with the the symptoms themselves. But what about the real source? I want to know like what's really, really being done for also men who are also suffering in this way, and and those who are actually like perpetrators. What is really, really being done to try and and get to the source? Because uh, if I am, uh, if we 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 take um, the charity which is like no gender against women and uh, and children, what about the the gender against men and children? Because for example, I like uh, what are the guests um, I pick up on, like you know having um, I know mothers uh, kind of like I know struggling to to send their kids to school and stuff. But but you find that um, uh, in many cases. The other party really, really wants to do something for the children because I, I feel, I feel my, my fear is that you know, there's so much focus on the women mm-hmm. and, and not really, really necessary on the children, what really, really, you know, impacts the children. So I just want to, you know, to take it from that angle, like, you know, let's not deal with the, the symptoms, let's get down to the source of the problem so that, you know, this thing doesn't continue because with what is happening even with the court and stuff, trust me, this thing with the way it's being done, it's being dealt with, it's only right. It's not really, really actually being being actually kept because um, um, like like on the other part, you know, like uh, the gender and I mean the male, the males, they actually really, really being not really, really being seen. They are not in the picture. They're not being really, really engaged to really, really see what affects them and how can we help. Okay. All right. Uh, thank you so much for that, um, David in Durban. Let's go to Felix in Nelspread. Good morning, Felix. Good morning. Thank you for taking my call. Yes, Felix, yeah. we're listening. Oh, yes. Uh, please, actually, I wanted to say the, the cost 
of, of uh, gender-based violence is just not measurable. You cannot really put a cost on it. It's just not measurable. How can you put a cost on the life, on the dignity of people? It's just not, you cannot measure it. But what we should be talking about is how to really educate ourselves, to bring ourselves to understand the implication of gender-based violence. And because we really need to get ourselves out of this mess. It does not make sense for us to talk about the cost, the cost all the time what, uh, without, first of all, sitting down to see how can we actually get away from this. And I think it comes from the fact that we do not understand that we are all equal in this world. And all violence against anyone, whether racial or gender, is always based on this feeling of superiority. A man always thinks he's superior to a woman, or a man always thinks he's superior to a child. Uh, and that's where the problem is coming from. Except we educate ourselves to see that we are all equal souls participating in this drama of life who will always continue to be violent against each other. Okay, that's Felix in Nelspread. Eddie in Fixburg. Hey, Vakina, greetings to you. Two guests, they are very cool. I like them. Can I just say, we reckon it's at least 50 billion, but let's leave the money out of it. Look, I've been a marriage counselor for 45 years, and I promise you there's two very salient points I want to bring out. One, 1976, our divorce rate in this country was 8%. TV came in 1977. It shot up to 80%. Listen, my lady, you are what you read, you are what you look at. It's time we put that TV off and speak to mom and dad, speak to the kids. I've got big problems in my karate, martial arts now, today, because kids come from a divorced home and they are hurting and they are sore, and I've got to be their dad, which is very nice. I'm glad I try and help them. That is the one thing. It's very important, this one, the second one, that you create work. Tina, I am a drug if you want it. I do believe that a lady is the king of the home. She doesn't have to go work. Unfortunately, she does, but she doesn't have to if her husband gets a good enough salary. She looks after the home. She looks after those beautiful kids. She's the queen of the home. She welcomes the kids home, takes the kids there, takes their husband, comes home. He's he's tired, she's tired, and they fight. So I just say, if we could get a right to create work that we pay our men enough money that they can come and contribute to their beautiful homes and their kingdom, you will not have this gender violence. But both mother and father working, both of them say, look, I'm tired, you're tired, damn it, you'll help me wash dishes. And this starts the gender violence. And I pray that this nation will go back to spiritual values where they care about each other. And the wow, Eddie. So gender violence will start because you insist on your partner, your spouse, whoever it may yes. be. You insist that they help you with the dishes and that's, you know, enough reason for them to no, be not, violent? No, 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 that's buying it, but it's cleaning the house, running the business. So what's I wrong with you cleaning the house, Eddie? No, Why can't no, you no, clean no, the no, house? You know, I, clean, I wash partitions 30 years now, and we live like queens. Like we wash dishes, we talk together, and it's what we've switched off that damn TV. That TV is destroying communication in the home. The kid comes, Daddy, can't talk, shh, oh, I just watch the news, shh, I watch Seven Alarm, you know, and this type of rubbish. And you just switch off and be available to the family. My dear, I'm talking to a goose flesh in my toes. We've got to get excited about the family. The pillars of the nation are the family. If the family breaks, there's no more pillars. The Forum at 8 on SAFM. 
26 minutes before 9 and this morning on the forum at 8 we ask how is gender-based violence affecting our economy and we have with us this morning Lisa Vetten, an independent researcher who specializes in gender-based violence and also Laura Brooks who's a consultant at audit firm KPMG so tell us what your views are on this particular matter 891 is the number to dial I see we have a few SMS's 34701 is that number and you can also tweet or Facebook us at AM Live on SAFM or at Sakina Kamwendo but before we get to all of that let's just try and respond to the questions uh, the comments we took before the break from our callers Um, Lisa let me start with Mm. you I think Felix was correct you can't put a price on human life and I think that's the difficulties that costing studies always face is how do you price human suffering and I think also women and Children and men tend to have a different response to different kinds of gender violence. For some, it will remain a lifelong difficulty. For others, with good help and good support, it's there as a memory, but it doesn't cripple their entire lives. So I think there is that aspect that is very difficult to to look at. I think in terms of Eddie's point about um, work and women, it really is crucial that women have their own and an independent source of income. Because when you have an economy that's structured to put women in positions of economic dependence upon men, it really is in some ways a recipe for domestic violence. Men get resentful at women who, who about women staying home. They often feel, you waste my money, you ex- you're exploiting it, you take me for granted. And I think that's where a lot of domestic violence can start. And of course, for women who are economically dependent, they can't exercise their options to leave. They may not have options as to what sort of housing they can take as an alternative, how they would look after their children if they left. So I think ensuring that there is decent work for women is a crucial aspect. If we're going to go forward in South Africa, is a crucial way of trying to address the problems of violence against women in the country. Mm -hmm. And uh, Laura, just uh, responding to some of those questions, comments there. Mm, Absolutely agree with with Lisa on Eddie's point. Um, Job creation for women is absolutely essential as is equal pay for men and women and um, in addition to that we know from our research that women spend in a very different way to men the money that Mm -hmm. they earn and you know the the, the kinds of differences are positive in terms of family and in terms of nutrition and health and education so those are things we need to keep in mind too when we think about um, you know creating employment for women. in terms of Peter's comment, um, he speaks about the, the international perception, mm. and, and that's a big thing for investors. Um, investors looking at our country who are looking at our political system, if, if they have an opinion about how these very public, two recent very public cases have gone, um, you know, they, they, they begin to form a perception about the political stability, the social stability of an economy, and that doesn't affect their um, desire to to invest in South Africa. Um, and David's point about what's being done for for children and, and for men, you know, those yeah. are of course those are those are also important issues. The the truth of the matter is that that the majority of of people affected by gender-based violence are women, um, but we do in tr- try and include children in that way, wherever you know it is. In fact, violence against women and children that we focus on most in in the research and in the response program programs, but that's not to say that men are neglected completely. Um, and what's being done is a good question. I mean, that's what all of us are asking. Mm. Um, and to Felix, you know, of course, the cost of a life is not measurable, and that's not what we're trying to do. What we're trying to do is look at the implicit costs that occur directly on um, G- GDP, so loss of income, loss of productivity, um, loss, uh, loss of 
uh, earnings that are spent unnecessarily on services that could otherwise be used in a productive way. So we don't try to cost pain and suffering, and that is something that is additional to the cost that we have put forward here. It's not something that we have, you know, tried to do in some some way. And there are studies that do that. We haven't done it in this particular one. Um, and there are studies that that differentiate a total cost and then a t- and then a cost excluding that factor because it is contentious. And and you know, from the outset, we know that this is a contentious thing to do. It's it's controversial in theory. And we're by no means trying to undermine the human experience and the human loss. Um, we're just trying to bring more people to the conversation here. And if you've just joined us on the forum at 8 this morning, we asked, how is gender-based violence affecting our economy? And um, we have with us this morning Laura Brooks from audit firm KPMG and Lisa Vetten, who's an independent researcher uh, who specializes in gender-based violence. And KPMG, according to a report by KPMG, gender-based violence is costing South Africa, at least it did, uh, in the financial year 2012 to 2013, 20, between 28 and 43 billion rand. And Laura was saying that was a conservative estimate. But let's take more of your questions, comments, whatever you'd like to add to this discussion. And please, the ladies, where are you? Let's hear from you as well on this particular matter. But uh, Sam in uh, Peter Maritzburg is holding on. Good morning, Sam. Good morning, Shakina and Yopano. Welcome. Hello. Hi, I've got just two points to make. I think the first one, um, I think it was Einstein who said, if we keep on doing the same thing and expecting different results, uh, that's a true definition of uh, of being crazy, basically. Now, I've, I've, I've noticed with great concern that every time we talk gender violence, um, we immediately assume this confrontational uh, stance where men are the aggressors and therefore they need to be bashed. Now, whilst I understand that a lot of, of, of this violence is perpetrated against women, surely we can't be coming into, the, uh, into these platforms and really coming to blame and, and, and assign guilt on, on the men. We need to be coming here to say, how do we ensure that we not only empower our women, or rather our men, <clears throat> but we also empower women. Because I know for a fact that a lady that stands up for her rights, that's empowered enough to say, I'm not going to accept a person that, that speaks to me like that, uh, is in a much better position than someone who's, who's um, not as empowered out there in, in a rural, uh, in a deep rural area, who thinks that all they have to, I mean, to, to, to do is accept what that man is doing. So I just think we need to do something different in there, uh, where instead of just focusing on on these perpetrators and what have gone wrong with their life and you know their childhood, we actually also look at how we are raising our uh, girl child to be uh, able to confront this. Okay, thank the you. Other for... issue, mm-hmm. um, the other issue, which was actually my my original point, was to say I, I think it's unfair to say that. Uh, the um, business community is not doing anything because for a fact that if we look at um, uh, gender violence um, that takes place in the workplace, because it's not just gender violence that happens at homes. Um, as, as a, a, I mean, as a business or as an employer, 
I have an obligation to make sure that I create an, an environment where my staff is free of uh, such um, things like sexual harassment and all those kind of things. For me, that is all part of, 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 of gender violence, and, and we cannot run away from the fact that a lot of our business has got some really brilliant uh, 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 programs to specifically deal with those kind of things. And then you have the secondary one, or rather the primary one, which takes place at home, where I'm saying, again, that goes back into us as a community and they empower people to say how we empower our women. Okay, Sam, don't go away. I want to actually keep you there uh, so that if you feel you need to respond to the response that you have an opportunity to do so. Lisa, what's your response to what Sam has just raised? Well, I think there are a couple of things that we could, there are a couple of issues that Sam has raised. I think the first is that he's, of course, there are some businesses who are doing something. And I think in many areas, it's the small businesses who are making the difference, whose employees will go and renovate a shelter, for example, or who will go and collect comfort packs for rape crisis centers. I think when it comes to small business, we really see an effort being made there. It's the big companies that I worry about who have the bigger resources and in theory could be contributing more. They're the groups I think who really need to be challenged to come and tell us exactly what it is that they are doing. So I think yes, one does want to acknowledge in particular what small businesses have been doing in many many communities. Mm. They have been important. I think the question of gender and violence. When we have this discussion, I think what men do often feel quite neglected and left out. And I think there's a tendency to want to assume that of, uh, that women are also perhaps potentially aggressing against men, that they're also perpetrators. And yes, they are. But again, let's go back to that point. When we're talking about rape and domestic violence, women are very much more likely than men to be the victims of those crimes. However, when we come to assault, GBH and murder, then men are very much more likely to be the victims of those crimes than women. And if we look at South Africa, for instance, our male homicide rate is about six times that for women. So I think if we were to do a cost on violence against both men and women in this country, it would indeed be staggering if you think of how much life is being lost, particularly by young men, young, mm. and young t- usually black men as well, how much life is lost and what that, that is costing the economy. I think we would truly be staggered. So I think it's impo- important that we start looking at how violence affects men and women differently and what are the different kinds of response we'll need to that. However, I don't think we can get away from the simple fact that unfortunately whether we're talking about violence towards men or violence towards women, it is predominantly men who are the perpetrators. Mm. So yes, Sam is right. We do need to think about what is it that persists within, for some men, certainly not all men, that violence is their natural response to difficulty in life. So I think that takes us to the next question, is, which is what do we need to spend in order to prevent such violence? And that is a very difficult question. I think we sit in a country where we don't, we're a middle income. We don't have the money for everything. So I think we have to make some tough decisions around which of the programs we're going to prioritize and where are we going to put out the most money. And I think that's the kind of discussion we need to have much more broadly as a country. If I look at some of the research that's been done around prevention programs in South Africa, there are only three, I would say, that have been really well researched. And interestingly, the one that was the most beneficial, it decreased domestic violence by 55% actually, was a program with women. It combined microfinance, so it gave women money, work, as you were talking about earlier, and it combined that with education around their rights. And that enabled, that enabled those women to be able to do what it was they needed to do to live independently and to reduce domestic violence. Some of the programs you've seen with men don't seem to be quite as successful. And it's, I think, important to understand why. So that again, we think if we have limited resources, where should we put most of our money in order to achieve the biggest impact? And I think that's a question we haven't yet got to.
Mm. And, and before I get to Laura, I just want to ask you about how you characterized uh, this from the onset. And you said, um, you know, you get the feeling that there's this confrontational stance. Uh, where does that stem from, Sam? Um, look, as I said, uh, uh, if we talk um, uh, uh, gender violence, the, the immediate response is, um, what is, you know, what's wrong with these men? Um, what can we do to stop them from, from doing this? And I'm saying we've been backing that tree uh, for a very long time. Um, when I grew up, I knew that um, if you, you know, if you go to school and there was a bully, um, talking to the bully in most cases did not work, did not help to actually uh, make that bully stop their bullying. But when you empower the person who's being bullied to be able to stand up for themselves, you immediately found that you get an, a, a, a different response. So I'm just feeling that we are not putting enough emphasis on what women can actually uh, do if they are empowered. Uh, I'm talking um, uh, education for, for the um, girl child. I'm talking different jobs uh, that uh, pay decently uh, because, they, I mean, that's, that's the issue that I, you know, I have mm. a problem with where a woman and a man is doing the same job but the man is, is earning more. So those are the kind of, 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 uh, of, of social norms that we need to be dealing with if we are to empower women to be able to say, actually, I'm not going to accept that because I can tell you now, a, 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 a woman that is empowered at that level is not going to uh, 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 be easily subjected into that kind of environment. I'm not saying it, it's a poor woman's uh, uh, um, situation because we get uh, uh, some poor, but it, it is very, very much difficult or rare uh, where you find a woman being stuck in a situation like that if they are empowered. All right. Thank you so much, Sam. If I just want to come in, I think part of that is true. I think if you do give women resources and options, they may feel in a better position to be able to assert themselves and to take their own path in life. But I think what that ignores is the risk that many women do face in challenging their partners. If you speak out and say, stop that, you're going to get a harder beating. If you leave, you may end up being killed. So I think we have to look at that empowerment is really not enough. That, ev- that, in some wo- that in some instances to stand up for yourself is to ask for a beating. And we only have to look at rape. How many women say no? And how mm. often that gets disregarded? So it's only part of the equation to look at how we empower women. We've also got to look at how do we get men to understand that they're that they do not enjoy sexual entitlement over women's bodies. That no means no. And when someone says stop it, you ought to listen. And I think that's the part of the equation that we're not really getting right at this point. It's challenging the power and the assumptions that enable some men to think, I can behave like this and I'm entitled to behave like this, and in fact I'm doing nothing wrong at all. And just, uh, you know, sticking with economic empowerment, uh, Patrick in Cape Town says, how about wages for housework to address the extreme exploitation of women in the reproductive sphere? Uh, Mangaliso Ngobo says, take women out of poverty and reap the rewards of high economic growth, low unemployment rate and a better society. But uh, just your comments on that, Laura, before I go to Tony. Um, I'm not sure about wages for housework. I think we'd like to to have wages for for productive work. I mean, not to say that housework is not productive, but we'd like to allow women the choice to to have formal employment if they so wished. Um, And in terms of taking women out of poverty, I I think Lisa's already touched on that, that that kind of empowerment is only part of the equation. And then we need to address the behavioral patterns that we are seeing, which go beyond, you know, the ability to make those financial choices, which still might, might still 
be subject to to um, violence regardless of the choice to walk away. And let's speak to Tony now, who's calling us from Edenvale. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, Tony. Good morning, and also to the listeners. Um, my involvement is with the Department of Social Development and with a faith-based organization looking at the International Year of the Family and the White Paper on the Family, which has just been issued in October, looking at a wider family focus. Now, it seems to be my experience, and I'm not terribly informed on all of this because I'm still researching it, that it's really difficult to get funding for empowering families, which is in fact the, 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 the agenda, the strategic priority of the white paper is to strengthen families, to have family preservation, and that includes empowering women, empowering children, um, and, you know, we're really speaking at the moment about, you know, the cost. And I would love to see the CSI programs taking the family as an area of concern rather than gender-based violence and women on their own, because I think we would be addressing the issue more broadly. All right. Thank you so much for that contribution, Tony. Let me read through a few more SMSs. This one from Nkosnatim Bedu uh, says, Gender-based violence is just a social disorder. There's much desired uh, that needs to be done. All social institutions have to work together to combat the scourge of moral decay. And then uh, Millie Numtata says, a quote from Gayton McKenzie says, never lose your ability to walk away from a toxic relationship. Wonderful words, those. And then uh, some of the Facebook comments, uh, Mark Kenneth Smith says, when tenants fight, they mainly destroy windows and doors, and this means I have to replace them. In turn, stimulating demand in the economy, this happens mostly over December and January. Now, there's a novel way of looking at things. <laughs> <clears throat> Maksuda Mutala says, money should be spent on safe houses for the abused. And uh, Rust, Mega Rusty says, I think we need to show that we care for our employees as these are our valued assets and let them open up and share. Um, Kenneth Butelezi, it's all talk and no action against the social injustice. Implementation is a great challenge for the whole of society. So those are some of the comments. So, Laura, let's give you a first bite of this. Cool. Um, so Tony spoke about CSI programs and the role of the family. I think the role of the family is very important in addressing um, violence and, and and it has other effects on, on other social issues that we aren't necessarily talking about here. Um, and I, I want to talk about CSI and we, you know, we've spoken a little bit about CSI in, that's directed to, to gender-based violence being completely inadequate and I absolutely agree with that but I'd also go as far as to say that we're kind of beyond CSI here. We are talking about, you know, when we think about the businesses in our economy, their customers and the services, the people that they provide services to are losing money, losing their ability to buy services, to buy products because they are spending elsewhere. And, and this is just a very um, economic view of things. It's, it's quite a cold view of things. But the, the bottom line imperative is to strengthen the communities that you operate in in order to ensure that you are providing services to an active economy. So 
we're kind of beyond CSI. We're kind of in a place where if you want a market, you need to create a market. And at the moment, your market is being damaged by a certain ill, which you need to then address. So it's kind of become um, more, than CS, more than a CSI thing. It's no longer about a feel-good, let's donate blankets. It's now about how do we create a stable economy for ourselves and a stable market for ourselves. So I think there's a huge imperative for for um, big business uh, to invest in programs that are effective, and we need to we need to communicate with those companies as to what is effective, how to direct those funds, because I think that's often where big business is kind of um, at a loss. <laughs> they, I don't think that they've engaged with this issue enough to understand how they can best do that. So they often go to the 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 rhinos and the HIV programs, etc., that are kind of easy, low hanging fruit. Mm. But but what can be done to kind of prod them in that direction? Mm. Well, I think this is an interesting start. We've had a cool um, response from from the private sector so far in engaging on the issue of of gender based violence and investing in um, in gender based violence programs just out of this study. And I can speak only from from my experience regarding the study because I'm new to the space, having just. Uh, Release the study, um, but but you know we're still investigating how, from my side anyway, how we can have conversations with the private sector in order to to assist them in finding the right programs and directing their funds in a, in a way that has a real impact. And I think Lisa could tell you more about that. It sounds like she's done some consultation with the private sector, and I think that would be an interesting way to get those conversations started. Would be to offer consultative services in order to to um, assist in directing those funds in a in a productive way. Lisa? There are different things that companies could do, and I actually do. I do differ with Laura. I think CSI is important. Um, companies shouldn't just be looking, this as to, looking at this as a problem of how can, I get, how can I create this situation where more women will spend money. It's got to be more than that. We live in a country with a constitution that is rights-based. And I think companies should also be looking not just at the bottom line, the bucks they can make out of women, but also as part of the society, how do they contribute to it? How do they create social solidarity? How do they look at their employees as people, not just bodies from whom they can extract work? So I think they need to look at it in that way as well. Um, And in that sense, I think that is why corporate social responsibility is not just feel good, it's actually contributing to community cohesiveness. It's allowing for mending, to use some of the cliches you often use, it's about mending some of the fabric of our society. It has been very damaged over the years and and results in things like um, gender-based violence. What could companies do? Well, they could look at their policies to see to what extent do they um, accommodate time off for things like domestic violence or for rape, for example. What kind of counselling and support do they offer to their employees? Could they offer programmes? I mean, some of the times they're going to know that they have some of their male employees who might be engaged in this. So Mm -hmm. they could be looking at programs that they could run in the workplace to address this. A very, very simple thing that any company can do is ensure that they pay their male and female employees equally. I think narrowing that gender wage gap is very, very important because that's part of what happens to create inequality. And as long as we have an economy that perpetuates that, we continue to create um, conditions of inequality that do allow violence to flourish. So that's a challenge I'd like to put out to the corporate sector. Also, of course, their sexual harassment policies. Are they in place? Are they training their staff? Can they deal with these cases or do they sweep them under the carpet Mm. whenever they arise? 
Other things they could do is, for example, look at how do we partner with women's shelters, for example. Can we offer skills training to women who are in there? Can we offer them internships or, op- or employment experiences if they've never been able to work beforehand? Can we offer small business training skills, for instance? So there'd be a lot of ways that they could contribute without even necessarily needing to put in any money of their own. But those could be the things they could do in addition to then um, look at how can we support programs, what kind of money would we need to be able to do this. Mm. And, um, you know, this has been a very different spin on uh, the way we generally and traditionally tend to look at uh, issues of gender-based violence. But glad that we started the conversation and hopefully um, next year you'll be bringing us more figures about more people reporting on these, Laura, uh, so that we can talk about it a little more. But um, there's something that Tando Emin says that that's also been on my mind listening to the callers this morning and she says this trope um, men also get abused is a diversionary tactic to get women apologetic and silent about their pain and suffering and and I've been thinking about that all along why is it that when this campaign clearly states this is a period of activism of no violence against women and children which is there for a reason of course it's not something that was plucked out of thin air why do we always have men coming in and saying, yeah, but it's not just women who are victims. What about us? I mean, I think whenever you, when people have power and privilege, you generally don't notice it. It's only when people start to make you uncomfortable by pointing out your power and privilege that you start to think about it. And I think generally our first response when we're made uncomfortable is to deny what's happening. No, there's no power imbalance here. No, there's no privilege. It's all equal. And I'm afraid... Although men don't like, uh, many men may not be comfortable with this, they do need to be made uncomfortable because that is the only way we are going to try and disentangle some of the power imbalances that we have in society and work towards something that is more egalitarian, that is more likely, I think, to bring out the best in both, of, in, in both men and women and to ensure that they both benefit and live the, live the best kinds of lives that they can without needing to live in fear or not being able to enjoy opportunities because they are female, etc., etc. So I think while it's always useful, it's, it's good that there are men who support this and they should continue to do so. But I think what I would like to say to men is don't be so defensive. Listen to what is being said. And if you can be sure that this behavior doesn't apply to you, go and see what you can do to change your friend's behavior as well. Well, that's unfortunately where we have to leave it this morning and uh, hopefully something for us to chew on in, you know, a slightly different way. And thanks to our guest this morning, Laura Brooks, consultant at audit firm KPMG, and Lisa Vetten, independent researcher specializing in gender-based violence. The Forum at 8 on SAFM.